fantastic weekend. I went out to New York. We did some consumer observations out there. Talked to like 40, 50 people. That baseline, interested in football. Some used PFF, some didn't. Got a lot of good feedback there. But also, the best thing about New York, I honestly think the energy in New York is who I want to be. Like, if there was a spirit yeah, city, I mean, like people talk about like spirit animal, New York is my spirit city. Like, the energy is phenomenal. The food, incredible. And people forget, this is a thing that people don't bring up. So a lot of people hate that I make fun of Cincinnati all the time. Diversity, man. Like, diversity matters. There's such a diverse culture in New York. Like, there is not a lot of diversity in Cincinnati. I think that just comes out in New York in the food, in the people, all that stuff. I would have guessed Portland for your spirit city. Portland, maybe. I like Portland, too. But, like, New York, man, is just incredible. The energy is just Also, thanks for the invite to New York. Yeah, I I like New York, too. not going to take you to New York, okay? We're actually trying to get work done in New York City. How was your weekend? Uh, It was good. I actually went to Churchill Downs for the opening day of the race because I can't go next week. I always go to the Derby, but it's the same goddamn week as the draft. First time in a while, I think, because it's, like, always first Saturday. So, unfortunately, but I went last week with my brother, and it was was a good time. But there was, like, no one there, the social distancing measures and whatever, so... Fair enough. It was fun, though. Well, we're going to go ahead and look at our top five at each position in the 2021 NFL Draft, our final position rankings. No interviews at the back end of the podcast. I finished my last interview. I think it was like 70 total. Oh, no, it was 69 total prospect interviews nice. on the two. 2021 version of the uh, two for one drafts podcast. A ton of fun there. So no no interviews to the back end of the podcast. Just really just going to rip into uh, the top five at each position. But before we do so, two things. One, if you're watching live on Twitter or YouTube right now, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to two for one drafts if you want your draft content. We're going to be doing like six, seven episodes this week. I don't even know how many we're doing. It's going to be a ton of draft content this week. Obviously, we're going to be live uh, for a lot of it, if not all of it. And also, number two thing, before we get into this, can we talk about some of this Justin Fields stuff? Like yeah. Justin Fields right now, according to DraftKings Sportsbook is plus 1,000 to go number three overall. Essentially, like, killing it. Like, I mean, you're not going to put out plus 1,000 for any player if you're not very, very confident that San Francisco 49ers are going in a different direction. This is an obvious reaction to the multiple reports saying they've locked into Trey Lance or Mac Jones at number three overall. One, are they foolish to rule out Justin Fields? Two, who do you ultimately think it will be? Well, I was going to say, that's what it's been the whole time. It was like... As soon as the Mac Jones was the initial report, people around the league believe it's Mac Jones. Mac Jones turns the favorite. Oh, now Shanahan's talking to Justin Fields' quarterback coach. Oh, now Justin Fields is the favorite. Oh, now the reports, it's Lance or Jones. I don't think anyone knows is what I think. Like, I, I think Kyle Shanahan hasn't told anybody. Like, I, I think he's playing very close to the vest. Ultimately, who I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Trey Lance, if I had to put money on it right now. Now, betting is not legal in Ohio, so I will not be putting money on it, sadly. But... That's who I would probably put my money on just because, again, I, I've said since the rip, I can't fathom three first-round picks for Mac Jones. Not saying he's not a good quarterback prospect, but I can't fathom that much draft capital for just what he brings to the table physically. Are they right to see Trey Lance as a better prospect, though, than Justin Fields and Mac Jones? So Lance is interesting. I, I Fields has his negatives that are real and will be an issue in the NFL and have to, like, be fixed. None Lance, of which are epilepsy, by the way. Yeah. I, I, um, no, I don't know. I, Stop. I don't know enough about Stop. epilepsy. Stop. Uh, but Trey Lance is, is just a different type of player than Justin Fields. Like He is far more nimble in the pocket, much looser arm, and, and like much quicker release in the way he gets it out uh, and like on the move and that sort of thing. And there's just kind of that, oh shit, what could he be? Sort of 319 career attempts. It's almost like the NBA draft yep. with Trey Lance, where you see this guy for so little, and you're like, 
well, you know, he's got all this. Like, mm-hmm. what, four years from now? Who knows? And, and there is a lot of that in, in this business. Like, that, you have to imagine what they can be. And Lance can be, you know, anything you want yep. with how great his physical tools are. But you're also buying into 319 snaps as a redshirt freshman, or 319 dropbacks as a redshirt freshman. That's like so few that uh, I would take the guy who was just damn good at Ohio State. You know, so someone DM me because obviously we opened up our DMs. If you didn't, if you didn't get your question answered in our mailbag series, you can DM me or Mike for your question answered. We'll someone DM tomorrow. me. We'll get them tomorrow. Get to them tomorrow. Someone DM me and said, "Can you um, make an analogy for every all the top five quarterbacks in this class if they were a restaurant?" And I said, "Like Trevor Lawrence, five you know, five star Michelin, whatever. Zach Wilson, Justin Fields in this four star range, and then Mac Jones, nicest Chipotle you've ever been to, like the nicest Chipotle you've ever been I would, to. I would say like Texas Roadhouse, Texas Roadhouse, but the nicest one, the nicest version. And then for Trey Lance, I said." It's a five-star Michelin restaurant that hasn't opened yet. And the grand opening's coming, but you don't really necessarily know if it's going to hit on that. So I think Trey Lance is definitely, there's a lot of that unknown for sure. All right, the last question's on this before we jump into who the top five quarterbacks are, and I think it's a good transition to that. But if if Trey Lance does go number three, which is where I would lean right now as well, considering Mm -hmm. the betting markets, considering the reports, and just thinking that he's the better prospect than Mac Jones, if he does go three, where does... Mac Jones come off the board because right now he's minus 835 to go inside the top 10. So he's yeah. going to go in. The, I mean, they're leaning towards top 10. And then where does Justin Fields go? Who's plus 100 to even go in the top five? That one's tough, man. I, I still think someone is going to see Justin Fields and covet the skill set. Yeah. Like someone is going to trade up for Justin Fields. I don't just think he falls to eight and the Panthers are like, okay. He fell to us. We'll take him. Uh, or he falls to nine, similarly with the Broncos. I think someone's going to see him. Some, there's a team that is quietly, like, in – not in love, but, like, some, some team is quietly, like, I hope Justin Fields makes it past three. We're going to go get him. Mm-hmm. And so I do think he goes four. If he doesn't go three, I think he goes four. I, I mean, there's going to be a team like Denver or New England that has to come up and go get him, right? Yeah. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me. I tweeted out that if you know he falls to eight – even with the Carolina Panthers trading a you know future second-round pick or whatever it was, I think it was a second-round pick, can't remember if it was this year or next year, for Sam Darnold, you don't pass up on quarterbacks. We talk about it all the time on this podcast about how they retain their value. I don't care if you've already somewhat addressed that position with a failed quarterback prospect that you think could be something. Justin Fields could also be something. And to get him at eight without having to trade up I think would be a, would be a fantastic decision for the Carolina Panthers. This isn't about you know building around Sam Darnold. If you're given you know it's kind of similar in some ways to the Dallas Cowboys last year with Ceedee Lamb. Like they did not weren't planning on taking a receiver at 17. But if they fall, if, if if a player like that falls to you, even more so at the quarterback position, I think you have to do it. I think the Carolina Panthers would be smart to do it at eight if Denver, New England, Washington, or Chicago doesn't come up and get a quarterback. And if you look at DraftKings Sportsbook again, the the favorite to be the Patriots' first pick from a position perspective is quarterback at plus 150. Like, they're coming up. I think a lot of people feel they're coming up, and I think it's going to be for either Fields or um, Mac Jones, depending on who the San Francisco 49ers take. Yeah, I think quarterback class, I think seven, it's going to be at five or going to be off the board by mm-hmm. seven. I think that is it. Someone's going to trade up with the Lions. That's seemingly the spot with where the Lions are as a franchise, and then how realistic then that makes a trade-up scenario for teams like the Patriots. Washington, Chicago, someone who's desperate to go move up. 
Fair enough. All right, let's get into the top five at each position now, starting with quarterbacks. I don't know if there's a ton of discussion here. These have been our top quarterbacks for a while now. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence right now is number one overall on our board and the number one quarterback. Zach Wilson at two overall and the number two quarterback. Fields at three and three overall. And then Trey Lance comes in at 10 on PFS Big Board as QB4. And then Mac Jones, who's risen a ton. I think that's where I'd like to start why Mac Jones maybe has risen up the board. He's at 14, QB5, according to PFF. A lot of that's quarterback value. Um, obviously, you get a quarterback and a rookie deal playing well it's worth a ton like that that is the holy grail and now i just don't see the sure thing that i think other people see other people like he's you know gonna be floors kirk cousins mm-hmm. floors Derek carr i know it's kirk cousins is wild i'm not sure i see that because he's going from an incredibly favorable situation there at alabama and the thing that i think it's kind of swept under the rug is not not everyone talks about the receiver talent yeah the receiver talent is off the charts he was under pressure 18 percent of the time there in alabama that is that would be no quarterback in NFL the six fifteen years we've charted NFL has ever been one quarterback's been below twenty. Peyton Manning in his prime was at nineteen point nine percent pressure rate for a season. No quarterback even comes close to that in the NFL. He is going to be playing a different game once he gets to the league uh, in terms of how he has to deal with pressure. And for as good as he is, like against the blitz, getting the ball out of his hands. A lot of that is because they pick up every single fucking blitz. Like, he is great against the blitz because there's not, like, free runners coming fair, at this guy when teams fair. do blitz. You bring a five-man Just because blitz. you're getting blitz doesn't mean you're getting <laughs> pressure. Exactly. So I do think that, like, it, he is going to be playing. And now San Francisco obviously has a fairly good offensive line, but he goes to somewhere – you know, Washington. Maybe, maybe not, you know, probably an average to maybe slightly below average offensive line. It's not going to be as sweet as it was in Alabama. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of a big worry to me. And like I said, not just the – everyone just harps on the wide receiver talent. But the offensive line he's playing behind. Like Wilson obviously was also, but no one else on that list was near uh, – had near the pockets that Mac Jones was seeing. Before we jump to wide receiver, I have another question. Am I crazy to think that the gap between Wilson and Fields isn't as big as maybe betting markets are seeing it or maybe as big as even the Jets see it? Like I don't think – it's that obvious that Zach Wilson is the number two quarterback in this class. I know other analysts, you know, looking at this quarterback class, see Zach Wilson as a lesser prospect than Justin Fields. Am I crazy to be in that boat? No, I don't think so. I think it kind of just that debate stopped once everyone yes, penciled in exactly. Wilson the Jets. Not so only like, did the debate, debate stop, but also the criticism stopped. Like the criticism for Lawrence and Wilson stopped when everyone locked well, in. Well, I'm not going to criticize Lawrence. Yeah, you're not going criti- to criticize Lawrence, but like people you. are like, you know, why aren't we picking up? You know, picking at Trevor Lawrence's you know tendencies. He's not the most accurate quarterback in this class. Why aren't we picking at Zach Wilson? He didn't play the best competition. It's because we know where they're going, and it's over. Like that conversation is done. The Jets are going to have Zach Wilson, and the Jags are going to have Trevor Lawrence. It's less about what they are as prospects and what can they do in those respective situations. I do tend to like. Well, you said the competition is not as good. I do tend to like JT O'Sullivan. We had him on the pod. His take about competition, and he said, you know, a window's a window. Anticipation's anticipation. Uh, and you know, arm strength to arm strength, and like your ability to, um, I guess, play on time. It, it doesn't change based off of you know your competition level. And so, yeah, there are things that are going to be different once you get the league. Like some of those jump balls that he's throwing on go balls are just going to get bad down, or sometimes even picked uh, if he's not you know with with better cornerbacks out there. But a lot of sort of what you're evaluating at the quarterback position, if you're, if you're playing, like I said, at, at any sort of Division One, even FCS, you said, 
like those guys are still good enough and like the defense you're seeing is still enough that you you can properly evaluate like that that level of competition doesn't necessarily matter i think more the level of competition you yourself are playing with matters and that's the biggest thing with wilson the offensive line mm-hmm. he is in the same boat with mac jones where step back and he can be late as he wants to a throw and it still doesn't matter because he has all day to do it i think the you know what jt sullivan brought up too about north dakota state and a lot of people bringing up like trey lance playing in the fcs not only did jt o'sullivan said it but also dylan radins the offensive tackle there for north Dakota state they talk about the culture and that like you are expected to win every game in yeah. north Dakota state in the fcs that matters like regardless of you know you don't have former five stars across from you like being a part of a winning dominant culture at north Dakota state and like him getting command of the offense at 19 years old as a redshirt freshman all that stuff i do think is going to be a big part of it and when you see reports about you know who is the best interview in this quarterback class who's the best on the whiteboard Trey Lance is right up there and to do that as young as he is I think is another reason why maybe we see him in San Francisco at number three overall let's jump now to the wide receiver class here I'm gonna look at the top five right now you have Jamar Chase PFS wide receiver one really since like 2019 like it has been him and him alone at number one at number two you have Devontae Smith the wide receiver from Alabama. It was it was between him and Jalen Waddle to kind of add more context. Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, then Jalen Waddle are six, seven, and eight on PFF's draft board. Splitting Pretty hairs. Close. Yeah, splitting hairs. I think Jamar Chase is like your number one wide receiver. There is a decent gap between him and the Alabama guys, but still on the draft board, six, seven, eight. And then at four, Rashad Bateman, wide receiver, Minnesota, 17th overall on PFF's draft board. We're one of the you know bigger analysts on, on Rashad Bateman. And then Elijah Moore, Ole Miss wide receiver at 22, rounding out the top five. I don't know, man. You've lost a lot of weight. You're not one of the bigger analysts on him anymore. Oh, that's yeah. true. That's true. I have lost a lot of weight. Anyway, let's go <laughs> to now. Let, let, I want to talk about why Devontae Smith over Jalen Waddle Because I know you had Waddle ahead of Smith for a bulk majority of the process. He was PFF. Sam was whining at me. That's why. Sam was whining. Sam okay. was saying, hey, no, Devontae Smith's better. And, and Smith is better at a lot of things about the receiver position than Waddle. He's a better route runner and more advanced. Gets off the line of scrimmage probably better as a bigger catch radius. He's also not coming off an ankle injury. And he's not coming off an ankle injury. It's the other big thing. It's like that if you're drafting between the two the guy who has had the ankle injury extend into this spring that he couldn't work out his pro day i'll just take the guys healthier at this yeah. point and like smith i think you have to just understand where you're getting i don't think he's a true x number one type of wide receiver i think you do some of that stuff but i think his versatility and just his feel and route running ability for the position is just like so top-notch that the weight I'm not too worried he mm-hmm. he's, may never be Julio Jones, like he, he may not, he's not going to be the utterly dominant guy we saw at Alabama because a lot of that was that offense and how featured he was in it, and, and that just like doesn't really exist in the NFL. Yeah, but I do think you're still getting a guy who's just going to be a super productive NFL receiver. Would you say Amari Cooper and Julio Jones were both better prospects than Devontae Smith? Ooh, uh, well, Julio's a little before my time. I'd probably say Amari Cooper was, yeah, than Devontae, yeah. And what, what do you think that Jalen Waddle does better than Devontae? I mean, he's the most explosive guy in this class. Yeah. Like, just elite level. Also, better yak. Dude, better yak guy, I think, than uh, Devontae yeah. Smith. What he did I after mean, the catch, it gets so underrated. Because, obviously, he was consistently winning downfield. But when you look at and control for, like, reception depth and stuff, like, Jalen Waddle, man, was making people miss and, and doing some crazy things after the so catch. So, this is going to sound really dumb for me to say. So, Jalen Waddle's wide receiver three on our board. But he's closer to being wide receiver one than Devontae Smith is to wide receiver one. If that makes any sense. I don't, it doesn't make any sense. So, like, Jalen Waddle does things that 
if you put Jalen Waddle head Jamar Chase, I'm not going to argue. If you put Devontae Smith over Jamar Chase, we'd be like, eh, I don't really see it. Like they're the yeah. similar sort of strengths. The flashes, the high but end. But Jalen Waddle, yeah. Like what he brings to the table physically is different from anyone else in this draft class. Like it, it is about as close as you'll see to Tyreek Hill. No, I think a lot of it too. Hill, but about what, as close as you'll see. A lot of what he can do with the ball in his hands is reflected in what he did as a kick returner too. Like he, his kick yeah, returning I mean, like average. All those guys were dynamic and he was yeah. the one that got the ball. So. Absolutely. All right, let's jump to Rashad Bateman. I think uh, Nate Tice, who's been on this show, where you know does podcasts with The Athletic, also does his draft rankings for Bleacher Report. He has Rashad Bateman as the number two wide yeah. receiver in this class, right behind Devontae Smith. What, what's your opinion of... You he's know, one of the bigger analysts. That's a big dude. That's, Nate Tice. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's a monster. Uh, <laughs> Rashad Bateman uh, at number 17. Why the high ranking? So, okay. Rashad Bateman. Why do wide receivers fail at the NFL level? Like, th- think about it this way. What are the things that highly touted wide receiver prospects, say Corey Coleman, Corey Davis, what do they have that all of a sudden you get to the NFL and it's like, oh, uh, it wasn't quite as good as it was in college. Getting off the line of scrimmage, ability to sell route breaks, ability to play through contact. He's done all those things wholesale. He, He has ticked those boxes. Those are not going to be issues for him at the next level. Guys don't fail because they don't run four fours. Now, sometimes guys fail because they're too slow, but then they never get the chance anyway. Like, guys yeah. run four sevens, they won't even see the field. So, obviously, Rashad Bateman does not run four seven. He runs, ran a four three nine at his pro day. He probably is closer to like a four, high four fours guy. But I think the things that you worry about, you don't worry about with Bateman. And so, again, maybe he's not going to be. Julio Jones, I keep saying Julio Jones, but like he doesn't put, have that elite top end physicality, athleticism, whatever. But he's got more than enough. Like he has for sure more than enough, and I think he's like about as NFL ready as it gets in this class. I mean, he doesn't. He's cleared the bar in terms of tools. He's not like stretching the ceiling, but he's cleared the bar, and he's like one of the most skilled receivers in this class. Like when yeah. you we, we talk about traits, athleticism, athletic profile, those words get thrown around a lot on this podcast, and in overall draft, and overall like draft discussion. But like bringing up skills can sometimes be helpful. And like Rashad Bateman, and, and I throw Jamar Chase in there, two of the more skilled receivers in this class. Devontae Smith as well. Like yeah. do they have legitimate wide receiver one skills in yeah. terms of getting off the line of scrimmage, you know, creating separation at breaks and that type you know, route versatility, positional versatility, that type of stuff isn't just being an athlete. That's legit learning the position and, and getting better and adding skills. All right, why did, did you see that quote? There's some anonymous scout quote about Rashad Bateman, the one that was just like dead wrong. That was like I overweight this past year and was like sloppy in his routes and Wait, stuff. Wait, what? Someone <laughs> said some, overweight this past we year? We gotta talk about some of those anonymous scout quotes before the draft, but like the ones that uh the Green Bay guy always pulls. I don't know. I, I don't know. You see him? Okay. We Anonymous scout quote said Rashad Bateman played overweight this past year. Yeah, he said he got overweight this past year. I got to find him. Even though he lost 15 pounds, like, that's just absurd. I think maybe he was thinking of the wrong guy. I mean, I don't know. Like, that's just, like, completely wrong. All right, Elijah Moore, Ole Miss. He's our wide receiver five. I think what, what, my first part of the question is why Elijah Moore over the other, like, slot types in this class? Kadarius Tony, Rondell Moore... Terrace Marshall isn't a slot type, but he played it on the slot. Yeah. And you have like Kay Johnson, Jalen Darden. But why Elijah Moore is that like top slot type? I know you said you can play on the outside. You can get one. into that. Yeah, because he's the best <laughs> one. But the other thing too is that an interesting comment is like, yeah. what's your opinion overall of the wide receiver class and maybe wide receiver position getting lighter? Like like Devontae Smith, 
Jalen Waddle. Like they're getting lighter and smaller. And I saw some people talking about like this class is very small, but is that not just the position where it's trending? I, I, I do think that's a big thing. The position is trending. The third wide receiver is a starter now. Mm-hmm. And so what, where's the third wide receiver? Your third wide receiver is a slot wide receiver uh, or can be a versatile guy, but whatever. Like That's getting speed out of that third wide receiver is huge nowadays. Like Speed itself is now a weapon with the way offenses are trending because they're, they're not as much they're, – they're more horizontal, more so than ever before. And what's the best? What's the best weapon on a over route, crossing route? Speed. Yeah, that is a speed route. That is not. You run a. I, I say it all the time about tight ends, and guys like Noah Fant. It's like if you're running overs, flats, crossers. There's no. There's no selling it. There, there's no route break to really like gain yeah. your separation. Your separation is how fast are you? That's your separation. And so when you run, if Four, three, you are running that route objectively better than a guy that runs four, six. Mm-hmm. Far better. So I think that's the biggest thing is that's where the game is trending with the routes. And so who are the guys that are more valuable doing that? Well, the Elijah Moores that run four, three, fives, the Rondo Moores who run four, two, nines. The, those are the guys that are going to be weapons on those routes. So Elijah Moore, though, why is because he's more than just a guy who's a weapon on that route. Mm-hmm. He's a weapon on the underneath tree. Um, he's a weapon in terms of how he can get off the line of scrimmage. And that was the biggest thing that sold me is that the tape against J.C. Horn, just not even getting touched when J.C. Horn came down and pressed him. Yeah, J.C. Horn's outside cornerback, had to go in the slot to press him. But he just went off in that South Carolina game. And then you talk about elite athleticism, 4-3-5, cone, four-second shuttle. That's it. That, and 17 bench press reps at 178 pounds. That is tailor-made to win anywhere honestly and there is a track record as much as you know we say size wins at the nfl on the outside tyler lockett emmanuel sanders brandon cooks tyree kill those guys win on the outside consistently maybe they're not you know gonna run your full maybe not gonna be targeting a bunch of dig routes but like they can win at that size on the outside and so also, something I found interesting, too, is like a lot of people talk about winning on the outside. You have to be able to beat press. The, hot, the, the, the player that was pressed the most in the NFL this past season was, pressure, was pressed on 52% of his routes. That's the most. So it's – okay, so why they say it, though, is because it's a third down, third and six. True. You're going to face press coverage. Mm-hmm. You're not going – it will be – then it's like 80% of the time press coverage. You're not facing press on early downs. That's – And you, ra- and you, throw you, you face downs. press significantly less on average from the slot. Yeah, but on third downs and even on early well, downs. Right. off line too. Let's jump to running back here. Let's jump to running back. You had recently moved Javante Williams of North Carolina up to number one on your running back rankings. Then you have Najee Harris of Alabama at two, ahead of Travis Etienne, and then Travis Etienne at three. And then your four and five are Michael Carter of North Carolina and Khalil Herbert of Virginia Tech. Why? Javante Williams, the 20-year-old former valedictorian who broke out from North Carolina this past year, broke the PFF record for force missed tackles per attempt. Why is he the PFF RB1? You said it. I mean, he's a monster. Like, the guy is – he's got what you want, man. And, and now he doesn't have elite speed. Top-end speed, not, not, what, not great. But – so 4 5 seven, 40. But, man, a six nine three cone, 4.09 shuttle, which that shuttle's insane for a guy 212 pounds at 5'9". Like, he – can move yeah that's why he breaks tackles left and right 22 bench press reps he is just he's tough he's, he's got about the best contact balance you'll see at the running back position that translates mm-hmm. 
and then with like some pretty good explosiveness, it just seems like a sure thing to then that's a trait you can hang your hat on at the NFL level. And, and you watch him as a route runner, he gets open. Now, his hands are leaving something to be desired on tape, but he gets open. I think you can utilize him in that manner. Would I be right to say there's a tier, like two kind of clear tiers in this running back class? The first tier being Javante Williams, Najee Harris, and Travis Etienne. And then the second tier being Michael Carter, Khalil Herbert, and Trey Sermon? Or, or are there more tiers? I like those that? tiers. Okay. Yeah, I, I like those tiers. And again, we're going to – the guys that get covered at the NFL level are the guys that you don't have to limit the role. Mm-hmm. I, I think guys like Kenneth Gainwell, Puka Williams um, – Javion Hawkins, I, I like their, their talented running backs. You're going to have to have a role for them. They can't just see, stay on the field and be an every-down player. And so they're just going to be limited in what they do. And so those six guys that you just mentioned, those two tiers, I, I think are about as uh, solid of two tiers in terms of like all six of those guys can be at any, at a point in time in their career, quote-unquote, bell cows. Mm-hmm. Like they could carry a f- three-down workload now. Team building, do you need that? Eh, possibly, maybe not. Yeah, we had that conversation, really I think, care. last year, talking yeah. about, like, oh, he's a three-down back in the NFL. You can give him 300 carries. Do I want that? Do you <laughs> want a running back that you want to give that many carries? And it's also, Don't like, you? do I want the guy in pass pro on third down taking shots and, like, more shots than he really needs to if, if he's, like, You kind of want – well, I mean, there's very few running backs in today's NFL that get yeah. three-down treatment. You know, and I think because yeah. you want to stay fresh at that position, it's one of the more, like – I mean, you mm-hmm. see a lot of contact at that position. Something uh, I saw on the forecast yesterday, PFF forecast with George Chihuri and Eric Eager, Evan Silva said this is the worst running back class he's seen in quite some time. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? i got to think back. It's definitely worse than last year's. I really don't. Obviously, we don't care too much about the running back position, so it's hard to like think back. I don't know. I don't think it's worse than the year where it was Josh Jacobs, Dave Montgomery, Miles Sanders, Daryl Henderson, Devin Singletary. That one felt worse. Okay, fair enough. So it was 2019. That was only two years ago. Yeah. All right, to the tight end position. Obviously, number one, you have Kyle Pitts of Florida, and he's kind of in a tier by himself. He might be both the first and second tier of this tight end class, to be honest. And then yeah, have- I mean, if you're being real, there's – there's a few tiers above everybody else in this tight end class. So number two, you have Pat Fryermuth of Penn State, Tommy Tremble, Notre Dame at three, Hunter Long, Boston College at four, and then Brevin Jordan of Miami, Florida at five. I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on Kyle Pitts. I think it's become kind of ridiculous at this point on who can say they like Kyle Pitts it's more. Harder. It's, it's rough, but I think I'd be interested to know, are, are those next four guys in a similar tier as yours? Is there set tiers between Fryermuth, Tremble, Long, and Jordan? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I think Fryermuth's the guy I feel the best about as just an all-around tight end. Now, mm-hmm. he's not fast. Okay? Like he's, he didn't run as pro day because of shoulder, but 4'7 is where I put him. Like He's about as athletic as Cole Komet was seemingly coming out last year, but I just thought he's much better after the catch than Komet was. Um, better ball skills as well. Like you, You've seen him run a fairly full route tree, 6'5", 250. Yeah, he just he is just ticks a lot the most boxes of any of these other guys. Like I, you can plug and play him from day one, you'll be fine. Is he going to go above and beyond? Probably not. Too much. Um, Tremble's the one intriguing one to me, in that his usage at Notre Dame was very varied. He was all over the place, fullback. H-back, coming across formations, inline blocking. You saw it all. Fantastic blocker. 
that one you feel great about that. And then he has some he has some speed. I think he won four six as pro day. So, but still like barely even t- targeted. He, he he was the number two tight end at Notre Dame last year behind a freshman. But now Michael Mayer is a dude. So no, no also since that yeah, Cuff Calf legend. Um, so. I, I like Tremble as that kind of like there are going to be teams that are super high I'm guessing on Tremble and the one that I just can't make heads or tails of is Brevin Jordan he's still 20 years old he put on a ton of weight like you watch this guy's 2019 tape and you'd swear he's he looks smaller than Najee Harris honestly wow I mean he's 6'2 uh 6'2 247 he comes in as pro day but back 2019 as a sophomore he looked like 225 and so Looks like a running back playing tight end, added a ton of weight to get up to 247, and then is not an athletic tight end at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, so what's the real, what's the real Brevin Jordan? What's he, if he can't get up into the 240s, you just, you're not going to be on the NFL. Like, no one's going to respect you. It's going to be like the Evan Ingram thing where no one respects you as a tight end, and you're just not really then providing value. You might as well have another wide receiver out there. Interesting. I do. I do think there might be a little bit of a drop off after Hunter Long for sure. I think that starts maybe with Brevin Jordan. All right. Now into this offensive tackle class, which I find that the conversation around the tackle class has been really interesting of late. Because while you have been kind of adamant that Panay Sewell is kind of in a tier by himself, at least to start out of the gate, like he is OT one. He is a hate to use the word, but generational offensive tackle prospect. One of the better guys we've seen in a while. There is more conversation that maybe you know some teams see Rashawn Slater as the best tackle in this class. Right now you have it Penesul one, Rashawn Slater two, Christian Darisaw three of Virginia Tech, then Walker Little of four. We'll get to him. Stanford offensive tackle, I think 26th on PFF's draft board, and then five, Tevin Jenkins, Oklahoma State. Let's start with Sewell versus Slater. Yeah. Okay. So how how big is the gap and why Sewell over Slater? So at offensive line, especially, like you have to go apples to apples. It is such a it matters so much your like physical development and skill development at that position matters so much so little time in terms of age in terms of on a college football field matters and so compare penny Sewell's sophomore tape when he was 19 years old to anyone else in the past decade sophomore tape at offensive line in college football it's not even close like no one is doing what he was doing at that age in college football, it's just they aren't. And, you know, Quentin Nelson, probably the best office line prospect in the past decade, but like everyone's talking about him in the air of whatever. He, he didn't even start until his sophomore year. No one knew his fucking name until his senior year, until, and he comes out. I knew his name. I called him a first rounder after that sophomore year. Oh, no wow. But that's just me. Uh, <laughs> you think you're better than us? Uh, no, I'm more of a Notre Dame homer than you guys, is what I am. But, that's like that's offensive line development because you had to be like strength matters so much of that position, power matters so much of that position, and then technique and pass protection matters so much of that position that those things improve greatly over the course of the year. So you look at Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater when they're both 19 years old, and it's not even close in my mind. Now, maybe will Rashawn do, do does everyone is everyone's developmental curve different? Can guys get a lot better at you know when they're 22 as opposed to? 20 yes like that that is the thing but also i'm gonna bank on the guy who was that rare that early and we just like didn't get to see it but it's in my opinion it's not that big a deal that we didn't get to see it it's happening he's still working and i i just think he's that rare of a dude 
I think it's I think that is my favorite argument in favor of Panay Sewell because like how many offensive linemen, not even tackle, offensive linemen prospects. Actually, let's take it at all positions. How many at all positions, if you just saw their nineteen year old season, mm-hmm. would you be so confident that they're gonna be a top five selection or top ten selection in the twenty twenty one NFL draft? So even like Kyle Pitts, incredible player. After heading into this past year, people were calling him Colin Johnson. People were calling him a wide receiver. He's evaluating him as a what's he gonna rounder. play in the nfl like yeah there were legitimately conversations like that and then yeah. you see just like him completely ruin people obviously at 20 years old and we didn't get to see that panay sewell we didn't yep. get to see 20 year old panay sewell eating pac-12 defenders alive this yeah. past year and if we did there wouldn't even be a conversation in my opinion we yeah. probably wouldn't even have this conversation about sewell or slater now let's talk but um, slater no slouch center. he's awesome yeah like it, i mean he's top 10 on pfs sport isn't he top 12 yeah i think he's 11th he's 11th at pfs sport he's great the only worry is just that a little slight he got not a line of scrimmage mover and got bullied a little bit at times on tape but he's he's still like that's i call him one of the blue chip players in the class he's one of the blue chip players in the class let's talk about this next tier then sewell slater and then you have darisaw at three walker little at four and then tevin jenkins at five and then just to kind of highlight some of the guys after that dylan radins of north dakota state at six sam cosme of texas at seven and then we get into alex leatherwood of bama at eight jackson carmen nine and then liam eichenberg tackle from notre dame you gotta, at how 10. far are we gonna go to i'm just gonna go full 10 because this right, is such Brady a good option tackle 11 class. stone Forsyth. <laughs> you're, you're, you're killing me now uh, i do think though because what eight off the tackles rank inside pff's yeah. top 40 on the draft board there's a yeah. lot of really good off the tackle talent why in my opinion do you think or why in your opinion do you have walker little ahead of guys like tevin jenkins still in some of these other uh, it's the same argument that i kind of just made for sewell apples to apples mm-hmm. his sophomore tape true sophomore tape so last we got of him we got one game as a junior but his true sophomore tape was excellent down the stretch there and yeah we didn't get to see the next step from him but I'm guessing he's like the, the way he gets talked about by people in the know. He, he he's that like he is that good. So that's just that's that is why compare it's because like again, only one pressure in his final seven games college, and, and like has the feet, the length. Like he has the tools. Six foot seven, three thirteen, thirty three and three quarter inch arms, and a seven four four three cone with a four five nine shuttle. Those are excellent numbers for a guy that size. Uh, last thing on the tackle class here, and then we'll jump to into your offensive line. Compare Christian Darisaw to Tevin Jenkins for me. They're interesting because Darisaw is such a easy like people mover. He just three twenty two, long arms, three four and a quarter inches, and he just like throws guys like so much power behind a strike that he just deadens guys in their tracks. He, he's not near the mauler, though, that Tevin Jenkins is. Like, Jenkins, you don't see much, as much pop on contact, but when he gets his hands on guys and he locks in, they just, he'll bury dudes. So it, it's an interesting debate between those two. In my eyes, I, I think Darisaw is just much smoother uh, of an athlete and another guy who's younger as well, d- did it at a younger age. Uh, Jenkins is already 23. So that's the big difference in my eyes. All right, let's jump to into your offensive line. You have Elijah Vera Tucker of USC as the top into your offensive lineman in this class. And then kind of a, a big drop-off after that. Elijah Vera Tucker at one. And then you have Landon Dickerson of Alabama at two. Quinn Miners of Wisconsin-Whitewater, the guy that went to the Senior Bowl and lit it on fire at number three. And then two guys left here in the top five. Wyatt Davis, guard from Ohio State. And Creed Humphrey, center, who I think you said you could play guard in the NFL. Creed yeah. Humphrey of Oklahoma at five. Yeah, I, I, this is a good 
offensive line class, if you want interior, like some of these OTs also, mm-hmm. feel free to move. Liam Eikenberg's at Notre Dame. He ranks ahead of guys like Wyatt Davis, Creed Humphrey on our board, Alex Leatherwood, Alabama. If you're, if you're looking for guys, even Jack Carmen, Clemson, there are guys you can move on the interior in this draft class that are listed at tackles currently. So it's wherever you really need along your offensive line, you're going to find someone for that need. But Vera Tucker really in a class of his own. He had the highest pass blocking grade on two true pass sets over the last two years, and that's Garden 2019, tackle this past year. And, and yeah, he kind of got exposed a little bit against Kayvon Thibodeau, the Oregon edge who's going to go top 10 next year. But it wasn't it, it wasn't like, oh man, he, he can't he didn't belong in the same field. It was just a couple of reps where you just saw a guy with length take advantage of him. Now I, I think if you put him back at guard, you're getting a Pro Bowl caliber guard. He is just has that level of just proficiency all around. The guy is as smooth as gets at the offensive line position. It's just he does have short arms. So I, I think he could stay at tackle though. If you really in a pinch, wanted him to play there. I, I, I can see why we, he's obviously lower on our board, 21st on our board, because we don't value interior office line as much, and that's where I think he's going to end up playing. But I would not be surprised if he goes top 15, like someone like the Vikings, Chargers, draft a guy like that. Which of these ta- – I know, you know, I think Dane Brugler of The Athletic sees, I think has Alex Leatherwood pegged as a guard. I think Mel Kuyper of ESPN has Sam Cosme pegged as a guard. There's other, I mean, think, I think Jackson Carmen is largely viewed as a yeah. guard by some. Which of those tackle guard converts do you like? Do you like any of them ahead of Elijah Vera Tucker? And, and maybe where would you slot them? No, I, I mean, Slater is the only one, if you're playing at guard, that I'd like over fair, Elijah fair. Vera Tucker. Um, I think Eichenberg's one of my favorites, too, to go inside a guard. Now, he's a little – higher cut at 6'6", six, six, but I thought the, what he does in the run game translate easily at guard. All right, let's jump to interior defensive line. This is an interesting one because like Christian Barmore of Alabama, I think 12th ranked player on PFF's draft board, the number one defensive tackle on our board as well in this class. We are the highest of any anal- or any draft board collected by Arif Hassan at The Athletic, the highest on Christian Barmore of anyone in this 2021 NFL draft. Just I see the report on him. Uncoachable at Alabama. Oh, really? Coachability is a question mark. Whatever. Uh, I so uncoachable that he fucking dominated like <laughs> during the during the college football playoff interesting best player on the field defensively so, so i think he is obviously in a in a tier by himself both from if you look just at the draft board and also i think you've said that as well but then after that you have Lee mcneil nc state former running back and linebacker in high school also hit bombs on the baseball field goes to nc state stays in rally north carolina despite getting offers from blue blood programs like alabama wow, among man. others he's the number two defense tackle in this class i think the best nose in this class then you have milton williams that athletic superstar that had pro day numbers similar to aaron donald coming out of louisiana tech we just haven't seen aaron donald from him yet we'd like to see aaron donald on the football field not just on the stopwatch and then after that levi muzurike of washington at four and tommy togia i know one of your favorites at five coming out of ohio state yeah, I mean, Williams is the fun one in this. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a shit class. I mean, kind of it's a shit class. You got Barmore, and then like Barmore, I feel good about starting day one. Lee McNeil, you can plug in at the nose uh, and rundowns, and you're fine. After that, if you're telling me I got to start one of these guys tomorrow, you could have a liability on your hands. Like I'm not sure a ton of these guys are ready um, just to contribute to an NFL football field. Williams then is the most intriguing to me because I mean truly an all-time pro day like yeah you said numbers on par with Aaron Donald as a whole they were better than Aaron Donald's 34 bench press reps 467 40 
a six nine six three cone, which at two hundred eighty four pounds, this is as good as it gets. Like that is as athletic a defense tackle prospect as you will see. Now, it's sometimes translated to a football field. Like you would see reps, and you just be like, "Wow!" He graded well this past at, year. Yeah, at a grade over ninety uh, this past season at LA Tech. Far more of that production came down the stretch. Probably his final like five or six games were just like a different player than we ever saw before that. But it does have short arms, 31 and a half inch arms, but he is just intriguing. Pro- qualifies as a project, but that's that's the kind of athleticism you want to see from a project. Am I wrong to say this is an interesting take? I'm interested in your um, your thoughts on this. Am I wrong to say that the defensive tackle and tight end classes in this year for 2021 have been bashed so much that I'm honestly starting to like like them more than where they're being bashed? Because like people have said, like this defensive tackle class is horrendous. <laughs> the tight end class after Kyle Pitts is garbage. But if I'm looking for like starting caliber players, I'm not saying superstars, but starting caliber players between round three and round five like i think this is a position group i'd look to like i'd like an only mcneil in round three i'd like a pat fryermuth or tommy tremble in round three round four i do think that those players can start in the nfl out of the eight do they have crazy high ceilings no not like Pitts or barmore but like when i'm looking you know people talk about when do you take some of these like low value low value positions in the nfl draft i like rounds three through four three through five to attack into your defensive line into your offensive line and tight end and this group has been bashed a ton but like osa digizua comes in at seven Bobby Brown of Texas A&M at six. Marvin Wilson of Florida State at eight. Like Tyler Shelvin at 10 from LSU. Like I like yeah. those guys in rounds four through six. I think those guys can start as rookies. Yeah, so to me, it was kind of like this defense. This year's defense tackle class is similar to last year's tight end class. Well, last year's tight end class, I was saying, I wouldn't draft one until the fourth round. Mm-hmm. Like n- some of these guys maybe you're going to have is a little higher than the fourth round grade, but it's just they're going to get overdrafted because – Teams didn't just stop needing them. As and, we saw with New England last year, yeah. I think the Bears spent a second-round pick on Cole Komet. Yeah. Like, you overdraft them because yeah. of the you know the position was just low. And then the fourth round, you get guys like Harrison Bryant and, and Albert Akwui-Bunam, where it's like, those guys actually contributed. So mm-hmm. this year, I feel like the same way about defensive tackle class. Maybe Christian Barmore I can get on board with early-ish. But then after that, I don't want to be taking Levi Uzurike at pick like 40. You know, I, yeah, I don't want to be, be taking wild. these guys. Yeah. High, which some of them are going to go high. I want to be taking, you know, Bobby Brown at pick 120, mm-hmm. the Texas a and and maybe you can plug in there and stuff the run for me. All right, let's jump to Edge Defender. Before we do, if you are watching live on Twitter or on YouTube, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to 2 for Drafts to consistently get the draft information, not just when we're live. Guess when we're pre-recorded on your phone. So when you're on your way to work or at the gym, just grinding it out. You got Mike in your ear talking you up some draft. Don't you like that? I know a lot of people that like that. That sounds like not my... I don't. I, I watch videos at the gym if I'm on elliptical, trying to get George would, that way. George Tahuri, PFF's chief experience officer, also like a freaky gym guy, would kill you if he saw you watching video. He, he, he got to lock in, man. It's a music oh. or bust. Really? He also probably doesn't do elliptical. I'm going to go on. No, he doesn't. Say. I don't think he does. Yeah, he, I think he like does like the Derrick Henry thing every day. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's go to Edge Defender here. This is an interesting Edge group. I think we've talked about it a ton. In, in previous episodes, but uh, it, it's like pick your flavor in some ways. But I do think there's a clear tier. I think there's a clear tier one, first round caliber Let's hear tier. What's tier it's one? Quiddy Pay of Michigan, Jason Oway of Penn State, Jalen Phillips of Miami, and then Aziz Ojulari of Georgia. Those four, I think, are first round caliber players with first round caliber ceilings that you just have no idea they'll hit. Like you don't like. I mean, Quiddy Pay needs to get a lot better to be a Von Miller, Khalil Mack in the NFL. So do all those guys. Azizo Jolari needs to be a lot better 
to get to get to that ceiling projection. But could they do it? Yes. Everyone after that, I don't. Even, I don't think you see the. Could they do it? Maybe Greg Russo of Miami, but the, the yeah. change of direction, some of that stuff was the stiffness. A lot of that was kind of scary at his pro day. And then after that, I think you're getting to more guys that have gap versatility than true edge prowess, like Carlos Basham Jr. of Wake Forest, um, Peyton Turner of Houston, uh, and, and so forth. Rashad Weaver, an older prospect as well out of Pittsburgh. But those first four I mentioned, I think those are the tier that you draft them in the first round for what they could be, hoping you can develop them into that yeah. talent. Yeah, I want... I want the last. I want the last of those four. That's what, that's how I want it. Fair to enough. Draft this edge class. It's like I, I don't. We've heard Quiddy paid a ten to the Cowboys, twelve to the Eagles. It's like, damn. If he goes ten to the Cowboys and you get Aziz Ojalariat, pick twenty nine, twenty near thirty one or whatever, where the Ravens are now. It's not that big a difference. Like they're, they're, as prospects, there's not that big a difference, and that's what I've said about the guys after the blue chip tier in this class. And I think the blue chip tier goes to eleven on the PFF board. We ran through them on one of the other podcasts. After that, from twelve to thirty-five on the PFF board, shit, like I, it's not that big. No, for it sure, it really is not that big. And the unknown with a lot of these guys, with how little tape you saw on them, like, could he pay four games this past year? Jason Oway, I think six games this past year. Phillips one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ojolari one year. Uh, of really play Rousseau one year like, yeah. just the unknown with a lot of these is there's difficult. no Ch- Chase yeah. Young's not walking through that door okay? yeah. he's not you can't put his name on a draft card this year what's the earliest you take your favorite edge defenders class in this case Quiddy Pay <sighs> the earliest the earliest selection we're like oh my gosh I love this decision I'm doing it Quiddy Pay mm, I mean like 20 Wow, I could, I could take a guy at twenty. Interesting, because they're not. That's not going to happen. You know, like they're, they're going to be probably two or three guys that go inside the top twenty. Quiddy is just—he's Milton Williams levels of different. Yeah, I mean, thirty-six bench press reps at two fifty-nine mm-hmm. or two sixty-one, I guess, with thirty-three inch arms. Like, man, he is just an absolute horse. Four, five, seven. That guy's—he really is. <laughs> is a monster. And you see the video of him doing DB. Yeah, yeah, I did. Oh see my that. god, like, it looks. It's so smooth. It's so smooth. Like, this guy's he's just going to do something on a football field. Yeah. It would be, be difficult for me to believe he can't contribute in a meaningful way. Maybe slot corner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I went to the YouTube channel to see how the comments are. It's a lot of really good discourse on this draft class. Just kidding. It's all about your haircut. Your hair? It's all about Yours? your haircut. And, and, and uh, your uh, Sergeant Mike, Policeman slide. Mike, is Mike joining the military, which at a certain point you kind of see you know you do kind of see it and if you are signing up just let me know and we can do the pod uh, a different time all right linebackers I I tried to join the Marines in college actually really and I couldn't run a fast I couldn't run fast enough really true oh my god they they were like yeah you're not gonna like make it dropping a bombshell that's crazy yeah I couldn't do three miles fast enough Wow, man. And like break like 23 minutes. You had to do like 22, 30 or something. Hate to see it. They lost a legend. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of fat, so that was probably probably a better thing. Can't win them all. All right, let's jump to linebacker, off-ball linebacker. Right now you have it ranked as number one, Micah Parsons of Penn State. I think he's, what, ninth on PFF's draft board. Then you have Jeremiah Wusu-Kormo of Notre Dame at two, Nick Bolton of Missouri at three, Zayvon Collins of Tulsa at four, and then Jamin Davis of Kentucky at five. I think... What's interesting to me is I think Michael Parsons is in a tier by himself on the football field. I think the off-field stuff is hard to speak to. It's yeah. also hard to like factor into how do you bring in a Michael Parsons who has some of these character concerns into your locker room. Not how, Obviously, you know how to play him on the football field. You know what you're going to do with him. He's a top-ten mm-hmm. player on the football field. But off the field, some of the character concerns that you've tweeted about, others have spoke to, are a bit concerning. And after that, I do think that it's kind of pick your flavor. I don't know how if there are clear tiers, really. Even yeah. and I, I know a lot of people like Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. 
I don't love the idea of even taking him inside the top 20, top 25, oh, because I, I think there's other linebackers I in this do. class that, like, depending on what you do as a defense, you can fit them in. Bolton, Collins, Davis, even Jabril Cox of LSU, who comes in at six. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get keen. So we're, we're starting to get to positions where role is going to matter a ton, where you, where fit, where just because you're – you need quote unquote a linebacker doesn't mean they can plug Jeremiah Carmo into that need, and all of a sudden you're going to be money. You know, so this is these are the positions that are difficult to rank in a vacuum and just say, oh yeah, JOK nineteen, Nick Bolton thirty four. It's like they're going to play different roles in your defense, completely so, different roles. So yeah, you want you know a Mike linebacker. You're probably not going to. You might be higher in Bolton than you are with Carmo because mm-hmm. he's his versatility and his you know sort of flexibility is his calling card and, and it's in coverage if you're playing him just between the tackles every down as a middle linebacker that'll be the first time he ever does that like in his life so that's just going to be a transition and we saw it with isaiah simmons last year who probably had a bigger transition than even jok because he was a deep safety he was like off the ball entirely whereas Luis carbo is still around the line of scrimmage still making plays from slot and that's sort of thing so yeah, I, I think Uskarmo, I if you take him at, what was the one, 13 to the Chargers, that wouldn't be too high for me. That would be awesome to see. But will it happen? Probably not, but still. That, that's, I like this linebacker class, though. Yeah. What, what's your opinion of Jamin Davis? What's the earliest you take Jamin Davis, who had like a really, really good pro day coming out of Kentucky? I know the league is higher on him than potentially PFF is. Yeah. What's your take on Jamin Davis? It's The one thing I need to like find out is why did he not start until his redshirt junior year? Freak of nature. Why is he not starting? Yeah. This is the only year as a starter. He played 245 snaps before this year in three years at Kentucky. I don't know. But but he is a freak. Like, that guy yoked out of his mind for a linebacker. My Lord. Uh, and, yeah, 40 tied Boss Bailey for the highest vertical jump ever for a linebacker, off-ball linebacker. Um, that's what gets you drafted high. Yeah. And number 17 to the Raiders. It's going to happen. Really? That high? That would be wild, <laughs> man. That would be an overdraft the Raiders would buy into for sure. Mm. Um, I think they're locking in off to tackle, though. Like that, They're a team that loves to draft for need, and I think regardless if Derrissaw or Jenkins are there, I think they're going to buy into one of those guys at 17, even if like guys like Christian Barmore or other players ranked highly, or Micah Parsons. I could see them abandoning need for Micah Parsons at 17. I really could. Uh, before we jump to cornerback and safety, and then we'll wrap up the podcast here, uh, I'd love Parsons to hear— Parsons knows about the black hole. I'd love to hear more about uh, Pete Warner of Ohio State and Baron Browning of Ohio State. Two guys you have ranked inside the top 10 among linebackers and two Ohio State guys. Why do you like those? Baron Browning and Pete Werner. Mm-hmm. Browning, honestly, he's going to play edge in the NFL. Yeah. I would bet a lot of money on He it. told me that on the podcast. Yeah. He said a lot of teams see him playing close to the line of scrimmage he, he's and, gonna, and rushing the passer. He's going to rush the passer in the NFL. And he's a pure sort of projection at that because he barely did it at Ohio State. But, man, he's got the tools to do it. So that's why – He's there. And then Pete Werner, he's just all around very solid linebacker, not a playmaker by any means. You just didn't see that on his tape, that sort of like innate want to coming downhill. You didn't see that with him. Just kind of like patient, able to take on blocks, but not exceptional at it. Like he's kind of just an all around. It reminds me, it's like a poor man's AJ Hawk, which not really selling him that hard. But like AJ Hawk was just, he didn't have that playmaker instinct. The guy would not get his hands on footballs. He would not make plays in the backfield. But would he be out of position that often? No. And I think that's like 
very much with Pete Werner. And AJ Hawk was like a freak athlete in his own right. That dude had like a 40 inch vertical and you never saw it on tape. Just wow. Never saw him do it. But that's Pete Werner too. Pete Werner had a 40 inch vertical. Did you ever like, would you have guessed that ever on tape? Not really. But that's just like, but that's a starting caliber NFL linebacker with what he brings. Like, and he's got the size too. He's 240. You're going to, he's going to be a plug and play guy from day one. Let's jump to the cornerback class here. There was we had Caleb Farley, Virginia Tech cornerback, as the number one cornerback on PFF's board, really dating back to 2019, even you know before the opt out and those things. But some of the back surgery, you know, the back injury stuff slides him down the board a bit. And also, I think it's the back surgery, and also like the, the other two, you know, other two or three cornerbacks ahead of him it's class. are really good. Like yeah. Patrick Sertan right now, the Alabama cornerback is number one. Right after that, it's J.C. Horn of South Carolina at two, and then Greg Newsom of Northwestern at three. Then Caleb Farley, Virginia Tech at four, and at five, Asante Samuel Jr. of Florida State. Um, I'd honestly flip Farley and Newsom. I really do still like Farley. I, I, I think. And again, but I'm not a doctor. Like you know, like to to get Farley's projection mm-hmm. in the NFL, a lot of it needs to be like, yeah. how much can he recover from this back injury? How much is this going to affect him in the NFL? All that stuff is different. But like on the football field, like Farley, man, dominant outside corner. I think he could do a lot of good things. Before we jump into this, why Sertan over Horn? And two, mm-hmm. why does Sam Austin the NFL podcast think Chase Horn's <laughs> not a first rounder? Sertan is just has the highest floor. He's going to go in the NFL, and if he's a below-average cornerback, I would be fucking floored. Like, mm-hmm. that guy is – it's similar to you know, Antoine Winfield coming out last year at safety. It's just like the way he sees the game, the only risk there is injury. Like, you're just going to get a good player. Um, that's how I feel about Stan. He is so advanced in the way, one, he sees the game, two, how like, just consistent he is with his technique and press coverage. Even off, he can play. I don't think he's like Horn's probably limited to being in a press sort of defense. They're not limited. He just that's going to be his bread and butter. Anything else is not necessarily going to be. You're not going to be getting a high level corner. But Sertan's just solid across the board. You know what you're getting. But I will say, in this class, I would rather have Greg Newsom at 20 than Patrick Sertan at 10 because they're that close, in my opinion, in terms of quality. And Newsom's kind of got this. I'm just very intrigued every time I watch this tape. I'm like, this guy could be – like if you told me in five years, if I had to bet one guy in this class was the top five cornerback in the NFL, I'd bet Newsom. Wow. That's, That's a take. I, I really like Newsom's tape. I think you um, – I think Sertan and Horn, too, a lot of people like – what they've done and they had so much experience in press and they've had a lot of really good reps in press and obviously like you covet press man corners on the outside of the next level but Newsom has not played nearly as much press coverage but what he's done in off coverage is absurd and yeah. I think sometimes when you look at off coverage sometimes it's arguably harder like to be able to read and react to the play like he does and, and flip his hips like he does is just bananas like he is very smooth very fluid and that translates you know when you're playing in a scheme that has a lot of off zone and stuff i mean, i think you've mocked him to who the jets a couple times i think at the back end of the first you think that's an option or no who uh, who, who, yeah. who are teams that make sense for greg newsom colts 21 jets 23 packers stop nine all right saints who's your favorite cornerback after the top five Dude, I don't love quarterbacks after top five. It would be quarterback six on the board. That's uh, that makes be. sense. Aaron Robinson, UCF. What about outside yeah, cornerback? Because obviously, Asante Samuel Jr. Yeah. probably gets kicked into the inside. I don't, know you said. Don't you, you dare. No, nope, he's going to play on the You're outside. You're going to start him on the outside, but he could get outside. kicked in the inside. Watch him go press Sammy Brown in the red zone and tell me he can't do it in nice. the NFL. Uh, but yeah, Aaron Robinson. I, I think Aaron Robinson can also play on the outside. But after that, Kelvin Joseph's the kind of intriguing guy in this class where it's like ooh what could he be 
but he's he got figures some, it out yeah figures it out it's a, g- a good way to put it because he's uh was oh, what's this ykdv boss man fat don't is hate that, him for having a, a sick ass twitter handle oh, we never talked about is like very we never light. talked about isaiah that's not that's his rapper name oh, we never talked about isaiah wilson oh he's AKA, a rapper i didn't know that aka gg bowser Oh yeah, Isaiah album. Wilson's a rapper now. Yeah. Oh man, Isaiah Wilson came out with a new album almost a year to the date since he was drafted in the first round, as everyone expected. And it was not, uh, it wasn't great. We'll just say I don't have good opinions on music, but I didn't love it. Out of the gate, <laughs> I didn't love it. But you also entered this. And we have a different perspective going in. Maybe someone who's never heard of Isaiah Wilson jumps in. And they're like, "Wow, this is fire." I don't know. Nope. No, no. Nope. All right. Well, Isaiah Wilson. RIP that review. Um, let's go to safety here. Let's finish up the pod with this. Um, number one, tier by himself, Traven Morig. Is it Merrick? I don't know. We've said Merig. it both ways, and we're going to continue to say it both ways. Traven Morig of TCU um, at one, probably the best, easily the best deep safety prospect in this class. Mm-hmm. And you have Elijah Molden of Washington, could play slot in the next level, but you have him here at safety. And then Jamar Johnson, Indiana, top 50 player on PFF's draft board. Then Richie Grant at four of UCF, senior bowl standout, guy who's done a ton of different things at UCF. He's played a ton of different positions there. And then lastly, one of my guys, Javon Holland, Oakland's own, Bishop O'Dowd graduate of Oregon guy who did not play in 2020. Also a big, you know, he's a big fan of Javon Holland. Everyone who listens to the podcast regularly knows Maurice Jones, Drew of NFL Jones media. Show. He's got him as the best defensive player in this class ever. Can you, can oh, you okay. give me a legit realistic scouting report on Javon Holland? Some people are like, yeah. just don't, you know, don't, don't know this guy because he didn't play last year. Yeah. So he played safety as a freshman slot cornerback as a sophomore. That's 2018, 2019. So he's true junior coming out, or I guess I mean redshirt sophomore or whatever. He's third-year guy coming out. Um, long, not particularly twitchy, like kind of like, you know, Sante Samuel Jr. You watch his tape and you're like lightning off his brakes. Not quite the same for Javon Holland. So I don't, I don't think like him playing in the slot, that's not going to be what he does in the NFL. But he's a good athlete, long, and sees the game at a high level. Like he, he consistent ball production, I think 20 career, in those two years, 20 career picks plus pass breakups. Uh, and so I would have loved to have seen one more year to get stronger and play a little more physical um, as a tackler and just if you were to play like around the line of scrimmage and taking on blocks and that sort of thing because he does have good size, six foot 207 uh, as pro day, but we just never really saw that. So he's kind of that guy who's you would have loved to have seen this past year because like Jamar Johnson – laps him you know with like his tape this past year whereas holland if he came back and did what jamar johnson did he'd probably be like a top 25 player in the class and after the top five i know a guy that you really liked early in the process andre cisco of syracuse he ultimately and same with our darius washington so safety six for pff is our darius washington of tcu the small uh tcu safety that yeah Probably plays in the slot in the NFL. I think you've said that before. And then Andre Cisco, the roller coaster himself. It's your single high guy. Your There's single your high single guy high that's going to get you. He's going to bite you in the Chris you know, Sims ass. safety one. That's crazy. He is. I know. Um, but to me, there's like this is the safety class. You got Merrig. You just feel good about his game all around. Solid so we're safety. committing to Merrig. Merrig one. No, we're committing to the pronunciation. Yeah, Merrig. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I just then, know. Then you got like a tier of. I'd say four guys after that, where it's Molden and Molden's in safeties, but he's a slot. And Jamar Johnson, Richie Grant, Javon Holland, where it's like, they're all, what role do you want at that point? That's where you're going. And then our Darius Washington, Andre Cisco are kind of just like throwing shit at a wall with both of them, where they got their, they got their issues and that Washington's the smallest safety ever. And Cisco is the most roller coaster safety 
in the entire class. I think there's definitely opportunity potentially for 2022 to break down like position rankings a little bit more specifically, like having outside versus slot corner, having box versus deep safety, <sighs> yeah. too high or, or, um, too deep versus one deep type of stuff. Like I do, I do th- even at linebacker too. Like what? Because you know, we talk about like oh, it depends what you want at safety. It depends what you want at linebacker. Like breaking it down and actually like hey, if you want a guy playing in between the tackles all three downs, this is your best linebacker or these yeah. are your best three linebackers. Could be some opportunity there. Just yeah. saying for next year, just I figure like it out. It. No, I like it. Just figure it out. You know, PFF largely made like edge a thing. I feel like remember it was still back. We were ranking like edge. defensive ends versus outside linebackers, and it was just a disaster. Like I think yeah. now there's opportunity to potentially even get deeper and, and look at box players versus deep players. That type of stuff I think could be awesome for position rankings in the future. But that's going to do it for this this episode. We have one more episode before the 2021 NFL draft. It's going to be our final mock draft. We're going through all three two first round picks. When we get back, that's going to be on Wednesday, and then. We got an episode coming out Thursday night slash Friday morning, Friday night slash Saturday morning. Like It's going to be a lot of episodes, I think three or four episodes over the weekend as well. A ton of draft coverage left, only one more before the 2021 NFL Draft. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn, producer David Zofaro, 2 for 1 Drafts.